Hello, friends, and welcome back to The Blue Room. Today is episode four of this season, which corresponds to section four of the book, Hope Travels in Story. True confession time, this was one of my favorite sections of the book because I am a big story person. I like the idea of hope not being about mindset or attitude or predictions about the future, or maybe not being primarily about those things, but rather hope lurking in the narratives of our lives, the ups and downs and triumphs and setbacks. And when I planned this episode, I knew I wanted to talk to one of my favorite storytellers, Patrice Gopo. Patrice is an award-winning essayist and the author of books for adults and children. In her work, she often returns to themes of race, immigration, identity formation, and belonging. Her essay collection, All the Colors We Will See, was a Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writers selection, and her debut picture book, All the Places We Call Home, was inspired by one of the essays in her collection. When she's not writing, Patrice hosts the podcast, Picture Books Are for Grownups Too, because she believes in the power of stories to help build connections between people. Patrice lives with her family in North Carolina, where she enjoys walks just after dawn and thinks a perfect day ends with ice cream. I couldn't agree more, and I hope you'll enjoy our conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I would love to share. So actually, very recently, I put a little tagline on my website to kind of introduce myself. It's something that's been a work in progress. And so my tagline that I have on my website says telling lyrical stories that celebrate joy, expand understanding and foster compassion. And (laughs) love it. Love it. Thank you. Thanks, Marianne. I was really happy with that, too, because I do feel as though Over the years, little by little, I've been kind of moving towards this phrase, but it hasn't quite emerged until very recently as I've taken in the body of my work because, well, you know, I write in multiple areas. I write essays for adults. So I had an essay collection that came out about four years ago, All the Colors We Will See, and I actually will have another essay collection that will release in the fall, so in the autumn of 2023. But I also write picture books as well. So my first picture book came out this past summer and I'll have more picture books in the future as well. And in addition to all of that, I lead workshops about the power of sharing personal stories and how that can help connect us and just help us recognize the ways in which we share things in common, but also honor the differences that are there and really understand the ways in which injustice can create differences too and what we can do to address some of those things. So that's a lot of the work that I am doing in the world. And I felt like this phrase, telling lyrical stories that celebrate joy, expand understanding and foster compassion felt like a really good spot for me to land in terms Mm. of thinking about my work. Well, knowing what you do and what you've written and reading so much of your work over the years, I think you have nailed it in terms of a personal mission, Uh, but I want to, and I want to talk to you about story and where that love of stories came from. But before we get to there, I'm, I'm curious what led you to feel like you wanted a tagline or kind of a, I don't know if you consider that a personal mission statement or, or whatever, but like. Right. A thing. Why was that important to you? Right. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And it's true. Is it a tagline, a vision statement? You know, honestly, I think several things are part of the reason why I started um, thinking like, what is this? What is it that I am doing? 
because I did feel like it was a question I came back to time and time again over the years. So I have been writing since shortly after my first child was born and she is now finishing middle school. And so this has been kind of the journey that I've been on one step in front of the other and really, I'll just be really honest, Marianne, at the beginning, I had no idea where this was going. It was just a sense like I felt an urgency to tell stories. And I started with that. And it has, I don't know, ballooned, blossomed. I think I'll pick blossomed. I like that word. Um, blossomed into something I really couldn't have ever anticipated. But I think part of the reality is with each kind of step forward, I have started thinking, well, where is it? Where is all of this headed? Not so much that I had to figure that out for sure, for sure, but almost more so to help me figure out, well, what are the things you do, Patrice? And what are the things maybe you don't do? I think it was kind of that sense of helping me to discern that process more. Because, you know, in life, there are so many things we could do, so many things we could do. And sometimes I think a phrase like that can really help you figure out is this actually part of what I'm about? Or is it something else? Or maybe it is something else and I could leave that aside. Or maybe it really is part of what I do, but I haven't yet seen what that angle is um, mm. yet. So mm. so I think there's things. The other thing I'll add is I, um, I have an MBA. So one of my graduate degrees is a master's of business. And this was really big when I was studying is kind of thinking about like, what is the vision? And we used to apply that a lot to companies. But I do think for myself as a writer, as a speaker, as a teacher, there is a sense of connectedness between all these areas. And I've been after words and language to help explain for myself what that connectedness is. I'm curious where this love of stories came from. I mean, I, I am a writer like you, and, and yet I do preach, and there's a storytelling aspect to that. But I wouldn't say that I am a teller of stories in the same way that you are. I mean, mm. people write, you know, we both write nonfiction, but different kinds. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious, right. what, what is it about stories? Can you trace that to something from when you were younger or your family oh, or? Yeah, this is a great question. I... I don't know that anyone's really ever asked me this before. And it's interesting because I do talk a lot about stories. So I love this question. And I think there are a couple things that I could trace this back to. As a child, I was a reader, except I wasn't for a while. And so I'll tell that story along with this. When I first learned to read, my parents would tell me how it was so difficult to get me to read, that I didn't like books, that I... I didn't want people to read to me. I didn't want to read. I wasn't interested in this. And so this was kind of, you know, probably kindergarten, first grade, somewhere around there. My father, he is an elementary, or he was an elementary school principal. And he had, I think, some sort of master's degree that specialized in reading or something of that. I actually can't remember exactly now. But the point was he and my mother together, they just kept reading to me. So. It's as though they wouldn't let that be the scenario. And they kept reading to me. And I remember there was a day I was probably in first or second grade and we were at church and something was happening. And I just remember that I had a book with me. So they they had let me bring a book and I had a book with me. And I think it was actually Charlotte's Web that I had with me. And I remember being on the chair in church and reading the story. And it was as though a thousand things people had been pouring into me suddenly clicked. And I was reading the story myself 
and wanting to read the story. And I think that was the beginning of Patrice is a reader. And mm. so I just started reading everything I could and I would read all sorts of stories. And that that was a big part of my journey is that Patrice always would have a book with her and she was always reading stories. And I loved stories. There are so many stories that I loved reading. I have multiple books from my childhood that I saved for my children who are not as interested in those titles as I was, as they found their own. And that is totally fine. But I've held on to some of them. But one thing that I think is really true is that when I look at the stories that I read and I look back, there was very rarely was there an example of a family like mine, an example of a character like mine that just was very rare when I was growing up that I would find stories like that. And so I think in a sense, it almost felt like I love stories, but I am missing from the stories. Mm. You know, I'm not here in the stories, but I, but yet I love the stories. And so I think part of that reality became this drive and urgency that I now have to create stories that mm reflect my experience, and I know reflect the experience of many other people um, mm -hmm. to just add that to the world. So I think that's mm -hmm. one thing. The other thing I'll say too, is my father used to make up stories a lot. So he would tell us these little made up stories about how something came about or why the world works in such a way. And they were just these like funny stories that he would make up in the moment. And I can't even hardly recall exactly what any of those stories were about. But what I remember is this idea of giving time to telling stories. Mm -hmm. And so that's something else that I would add to is just that sense that we make space in our lives for stories. Mm. What a wonderful, a couple of of confluences of events to trace to where yeah. all this began, right? Yeah. And I, I love, I mean, as you know, this this series is around hope and how we find hope and what hope looks like. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And and thinking about your parents' perseverance to say, this yeah. kid is going to be a reader. We're right. going to just keep at it. And then that click, right? Yeah. Where it finally comes together. Right. And that's so... I mean, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is like hope is not linear, right? It's not mm -hmm. like you just put these ingredients in and this will come out in a kind of predetermined yes. way. You yes. just do the right thing. You trust and you hope that, yeah. you know, Patrice will be a reader and not only a reader, but a writer as well. I and mean, it's yeah. really amazing. Well, now, and I think that was beyond their imagination. Sure, that right. would have been where, you know, any of this would lead. And, but I also love what you say about this idea of it not being linear, because I do think, and I know you say, you talk about this in your book as well, but just that sense that we sometimes come to life with this expectation that if I do this, then this is going to happen as well. And, and I think there is something here about how do we make space for other realities that could happen. So I think, you know, even when I mentioned I that there were books from my childhood that I held on to thinking my own daughters would love them, that that almost feels that kind of well here because I loved it, they're going to love this too. And that actually hasn't necessarily been the case. And I think on one hand, we could say, oh, well, I need to try harder. I need to push that more for them or else think, well, what else is there out there? What is it that they're being drawn to? What are the stories that they're loving? What might be part of their world that we can find out more to read about or something? Mm, so right. just kind of thinking, yeah, maybe I did have this idea in my head that I didn't even realize I quite had in my head and it hasn't quite worked out that way. And what might be the new thing that we're figuring out mm -hmm. instead? Right. Well, and, and yeah, that's something that I talk about too in the book about hope versus optimism. Cause I think hope can be more 
open-ended and kind of mm, broad-based. So mm-hmm. I, I think about you saving those books and those are not the books that they respond to, but there are other stories that yes. they are gravitating to. And right. that's really ultimately, I think as a, as the good mother that you are, like, that's what really matters is that mm. they find their stories and yeah. you've modeled that for them. It's not like a, I bestow this upon you and here are the stories that right. you will love. Exactly. <laughs> right? These are, yes. You've shown them this, this is important to me, just like your parents did to you, right? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. we are a family of readers and, mm-hmm. and you will, you will see what that's like mm-hmm. through our example. Right, um, right. You know. Well, um, I know the answer to this, but I want to give you a chance to talk to people who maybe don't know your work. Uh, when you talk about the stories that you read as a child and how you didn't oh. see yourself there. So say yeah. more about what, what that is and your, some of your background. And, yeah, and, absolutely. And, you know, that's a good point. Um, I did not expand upon that. So yeah, that's so quite all right. <laughs> I am the child of Jamaican immigrants and I was born and raised in Anchorage, Alaska. So I write a lot about my experience growing up as the black American daughter of immigrants in a society where we are so intent on classifying people and defining people's experiences based on what they look like. So I really believe that a lot of the work that I do is working to expand the narrative often offered to Black Americans that we often as a people are almost compressed into this monolith of an experience when actually it's expansive. And so by sharing my story through essays, but also in picture books, a lot of the work that I write in picture books is actually very much drawn from my experience and my family's experience. My hope is to create more stories about what it is to be a Black person in our world and to be a person in our world. So when I talk about the reality that there weren't a lot of stories when I was growing up that reflected my experience, that is so very true. I mean, when I look at the books that, you know, that I did hold on to from childhood, as much as I love those books, the reality is it was a very homogenous cast of characters in those stories the few stories that I interacted with that had Black characters and Black families represented were often interacting with some of the heaviest things about our history. So thinking about slavery and segregation and not that those stories should not exist. I absolutely believe those stories should exist, but I also feel as though there weren't as many stories that were celebrating what I felt was the ordinariness of my own life and celebrating the joys of my own life. So part of the reason I even put that part about celebrating joy into my, I don't know what we call the statement that I shared earlier, was because I really believe in the power of creating stories with characters that reflect my own experience that are celebrating joy, not not just interacting with what is heavy in life, but mm-hmm. are reminding myself and others that there is also joy here too that exists and um, wanting to write about that and celebrate that that is such a beautiful statement and and testament to why i wanted to talk to you about this under the umbrella of this section of the book about story because Mm. as i shared the idea in, in fact this section of the book section four is probably my favorite section of the book. The idea of thinking about hope as a story or Mm. that hope is communicated through narrative rather than, like I said earlier, like you insert these ingredients and then you get this great outcome. Like it's much more mysterious and it, Mm -hmm. and it ebbs and flows. Right. One of the things I, I absolutely agree with you that, that 
stories do need to have a place. We need to have a place in our stories for hard things. Yeah. But they're also those containers of joy that stories yeah. can be. That is also what lifts us up and helps us feel hopeful. Yeah. And I don't know whether you've reflected on your work in these terms explicitly. I think your statement's very hopeful, but it doesn't have the word hope in it. But I'm, I'm curious how you think about hope and the work that you do, like how those things connect to one another, if they do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That is a really interesting question. And I, I've enjoyed what you've shared in your book too, because I just want to be really honest, Marianne. Hope is one, it's a word that I have, can I say I have a love-hate relationship with at you times? You absolutely maybe, can. <laughs> maybe Please that would do. be. Because one, I tend to be a person who has a lot of optimism. I do um, often express that. And not that I'm always optimistic about everything. It's not that. But at the same time, I also have felt as though, as you have expressed already, optimism is not the same as hope. Like there's something that's somewhat of a disconnect. I also think um, as a person who writes a lot around uh, racial identity, race relations, things of that nature, I just feel like as a Black woman, people are often asking me, where's the hope? Where's the hope? And I think sometimes that feels just exhausting to almost feel as though I need to figure this out for you and explain to you where this is. And it's almost as though where I find hope, if you don't agree that that's where hope exists, then there's no hope there. So I, I feel as though there's these tensions that I swim in when I think about this word. And yet at the same time, I think about my upcoming essay collection that's going to be out in the autumn. And the theme of that essay collection is an exploration of absence and the ways absences exist in our lives and how what we do in the midst of absences. And I think absences can take on many forms. Absences can take on the form of loss. They can take on the form of maybe disappointments, desires we had for our lives that have been unmet, or maybe desires we didn't even realize we have. I mean, I think there's so many forms of absence, even physical absences, the destruction of communities and um, things of that nature. So all these things are different kinds of absences that I'm exploring in this. And my, my collection, I wouldn't say it's offering any sort of answer, but I think what it's really reflecting on is this idea of what does it mean to continue in the face of absences? And I think the act of continuing <laughs> feels hopeful to me that we're acknowledging this loss, this pain, and yet also choosing to, I guess, as we talked about earlier, take the next step and, or take another step. Maybe it's not even the next step. Maybe it's just another step. I think that for me feels hopeful. I will say broadly, when people do ask me about hope though, one thing that I do share is because of my faith, I believe I do write with a redemptive arc. So mm -hmm. there is something within me that believes that somehow within all these stories, redemption exists. Now that doesn't always mean it's going to just have this beautiful ending. And I mean, we can see that there's so much injustice, Marianne, there's so much injustice in the world and hard things that are not being resolved that, you know, they are not being resolved. And yet I think when it's still, when it comes to my writing, I can still see that there is this like thread of redemption that exists in my mm -hmm. words. Mm -hmm. mm. 
It's so beautifully expressed. And I, I appreciate so much your, your comments about this kind of renewed since the death of George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, mm-hmm. this kind of renewed desire and work towards, you know, more of a racial reckoning around our country's legacy. There's been a lot of, you know, like, let us not put so much of a burden on people of color to do the educating. Mm -hmm. And as you're talking, I'm realizing that we also put a big burden on people to be the, you know, yeah. Give us the inspiration, right? Right, right. And, and 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 usually in a way that like ties it all up in a bow, mm-hmm. you know. I think about even after the the shooting at Mother Emanuel, you know, mm-hmm. the the expression of forgiveness was so so swift and so in many ways just it was beautiful to see. And also, I, I found myself going it's okay to be really angry and not, you know, I, I, if it was sincere, you know, that then, I mean, I don't question it at all, but I also go, there needs to be reconciliation, reparation and reconciliation doesn't always happen so quickly. Right. Mm -hmm, I guess is maybe mm -hmm. my, you know, my point, but yeah. Yeah. And I think, and again, I also want to say, I don't want to speak for anyone else about when or how people choose to forgive, but I do think sometimes in situations what happens is there's almost an expectation placed upon black people that you need to forgive. And so I I think how do we navigate that tension of people's genuine desire to forgive, which I think let us honor that with the reality that as I said earlier, black people are not a monolith Mm -hmm. and making space for the fact that not everyone is going to feel that and want to do that and we need to allow for that we need to allow for the reality of multiple expressions in aftermaths of anything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah sort of like you were saying about your own stories they have this arc you know the the redemptive arc but that is from what i'm hearing you you say it's it's something you you hold lightly enough not to sort of force fit yes you know right right like this can't not be a part of you what you share because of your own kind of spiritual convictions and that right that sort of thing but the story has a life of its own i guess exactly yeah absolutely i think that is absolutely true and so i think for myself it's important for me to just honor that because I think at times there will be other voices, other voices from the majority culture who want me to conform these stories into a way that makes them feel better in the aftermath of what I've shared. And I think one thing that I feel strongly is I am not telling stories to make you feel better. <laughs> that That's not, you know, the reason that I'm sharing stories or telling stories. And so I think even in that, does that feel hopeful to me to for us as human beings to be in a place where we can express ourselves in our most authentic ways? I think that feels like a sign of hope to me as well. Well, and one of the pieces of this section of the book about story that people have responded to the most, and I would love to get your thoughts on it, and, and I think you just set it up beautifully, is I quote um the science fiction writer Ted Chang. He wrote the the story that the movie Arrival is based on. I don't know if you've seen that Amy Adams movie, but it's a very fundamentally hopeful science fiction story mm. at a time when we haven't had a lot of those. There's a lot of yeah. like death and right. dystopia, you know. But he says that fundamentally there are kind of two kinds of stories. He says there are conservative stories and there are progressive stories. And he doesn't mm. mean that politically, but just the way they're structured. So conservative stories, the world starts out as a good place Mm -hmm. and evil intrudes 
and then is defeated. And then we, the world returns to being a good place again. Mm -hmm. So you Mm -hmm. kind of go back to back to Eden kind of Mm -hmm. idea. And then progressive stories are the world starts out as a familiar place. Mm -hmm. Something disrupts that. And then the world is forever changed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, There isn't a return to the way it was before. Right. And it could change for the better, or it could change for the worse, or Mm -hmm. it could change in both ways. And as you're talking about our capacity to be transformed, mm-hmm. I thought, well, that what you're describing is a progressive story, right? Mm, Where okay. it's not like everything's restored, but yeah. it's, we have grown and we have capacity that we didn't have before or, or whatever yeah. it might be. But I'm curious, as you think about the stories you've written or the stories that you've lived in as a, a person on this earth and a child of immigrants and one who grew up with the experiences that you had, have you seen conservative or progressive stories or what just what your response is to yeah. thinking about those categories? Yeah, absolutely. So I have a couple responses and hopefully I'm going to remember as we're talking, but You know, the first thing that strikes me is that idea of a conservative story. I feel as though that's going to appeal to a lot of people who feel that the world is generally working well. And I think that there are a lot of issues and things that are problematic about it. So in a sense, I don't know that I want to return to some of these things because it's historically problematic as it is. And so When I think about that notion of a progressive story, that just feels very hopeful for me, that there could be something expansive, that there could be ideas and ways of living life and doing things that we haven't thought about yet. So I think that's something that strikes me. But, you know, I I think there's a part of me that recognizes the desire people may have for, I guess, did you use the language close-ended? in this discussion? Or, I don't know if I did, but yeah. Okay, well, that's, that's the, the idea, phrase right? that's coming to me, but I was yeah. like, I don't think I made that up. I think that probably came from you. So um, <laughs> I think there can be something because I think as human beings, we often don't want to be uncomfortable. So we want to try and do what we can to bring us back to a level of comfort that we had. But I think if you're a person who is functioning in society and you recognize the discomfort that you have just been living in, in many ways, your whole life, there's a sense of there must be something else that exists. And what might that be? And mm-hmm. so so I think I love that idea of the progressiveness um, or progressive. Yeah. So progressive and conservative. That's something that just strikes me as in terms of why it is someone might be drawn to one idea versus the other. The other thing that I think is true is I think my writing style in general would probably fit more in this idea of being progressive because something I know about myself and people have told me again and again is that the way I end essays is very open-ended, that it's not this, well, then this is what this means and this is what happened and this is how this will unfold. Instead, I look at the way in which I end my essays as an invitation for people to further engage with the thinking that has arisen because of what they've read. Well, what does this now mean? And it it says, hey, you get to be part of this story too, that as you continue to think on this, you're now actually part of this journey as well. And so I think that also really appeals to me that it almost feels as though to write in that way to create stories in that way, it can become something more communal or more of a conversation or more of something that is dynamic versus static, I guess, would be a way of thinking about that. Thank you so much for joining us in the Blue Room. Many thanks to Patrice Gopo. 
Please visit www.patricegopo.com to learn more and connect with her newsletter, subscribe to her podcast, and more. You can also check out my website, mariannemckibbendana.net. And if you liked this podcast, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. I'm Marianne McKibben-Dana, speaking to you from Reston, Virginia, the ancestral land of the Manahoac people. This podcast was produced and edited by Mel Dana. Thank you, as always, for listening. Steady on. Steady on.